Hey, everybody. Absolutely stunning news over here this week. We have a video version of this week's episode available on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash late night. Go over there, sign up at any tier, and you'll have access to it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash late night. Now, enjoy the show. So, all right, look, we have to start at the beginning, which is, you know, Jarek, we know Jarek. Let's talk about Jarek. Let's talk about Jarek. <laughs> well, what's your connection, San Diego? Yeah, I met Jarek before I moved to LA. I've been in LA for around six or seven years, I think yeah, now. Same, same. Yeah, we kind of became friends a couple of years before I left. He was really active in the band world of San Diego and the music world and he has his project called Small Culture. Oh, yeah. We know Small Culture, of course. Yeah. yeah. I call them the tool of indie rock because <laughs> he only puts out a record every, you know, like 10 years, it feels yeah, yeah, like. Yeah. Out. Uh-huh. And I'm like, when's the next Small Culture release? He's like, ah, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. <laughs> so he's like tool in that sense where he just keeps his fans waiting. <laughs> yeah, I met him through band stuff. We'd played some shows together. He'd recorded some friends' bands. I, you know, I got a crash on his couch on his futon <laughs> i think a few times after i'd moved when i'd come back to san diego and nice yeah he's just a really good friend and then i like to think that i convinced him to move up to la mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as well because i had just moved and then you know we were in touch and he was like i'm thinking about moving to la he was working with jimmy from the album leaf quite a bit on some tours oh, yeah a past guest on the show yes oh yeah nice like you could say that these opportunities brought him to LA, but I like to think that I just influenced <laughs> it was, it was him you. to the point. Where <laughs> yeah. Why did you want to move to LA? Like, what was the impetus for you? I mean, the main reason I just wanted to be in it, and like, I knew I wanted to do music, and I wanted to be around people that were doing it full time, and I wanted to be around cool things that were happening. That definitely happened. Mm-hmm. I definitely got here, and like. I didn't realize how big the music world was, but, (laughs) you know, I just wanted to be around people that were like really full time giving their life to it kind of thing. So that was the reasoning. And it worked. (laughs) It worked. Yeah. That's great. Because I feel like so often you hear the story about I moved to L.A. for that reason, but I never found anyone to hang out with. And now I'm in actual hell. And, you know. And my life sucks, but I'm glad. There's a saying in L.A. that's if you make it a year, you're in the clear. Uh-huh. So, yep. you know, if you get through a year here, then that usually means that you have the ability to stay. But <laughs> yeah, I definitely, when I first moved to LA, kind of put myself in the wrong groups and like associated myself with a lot of people that, for lack of a better phrase, you know, didn't really give a fuck about me. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Or like, you know, just they weren't my people, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. It took me a year or two to like really find my squad. And yeah. then that's when LA really started clicking for me. And I like had that support group. Was finding your folks here just being like, I'm going to hang out with this person or this group or go in this scene, just trying a bunch of different things? Or was it like kind of one friend opened the door to everything else? It's kind of, you know, finding the people that you fuck with and yeah. vice versa, you know? Yeah. I definitely like had that where I met a friend and then they opened me up to new friends and stuff like that. Yeah. At one point there, I was kind of the bridge 
you know, a lot of friends met through me. So, yeah, you know, I was yeah, playing yeah. a lot of shows in LA and my house, you know, we come here before we go out That's or something nice. like that. <laughs> yeah. So I think if anything, maybe I was at one point, not so much anymore, I would say, but at one point I was like the friend that introduced friends to friends. Isn't it so great to like be that bridge friend? Like that <laughs> brings me the most joy of seeing people I've introduced hang out. It's the greatest. Yes. The best is when couples, I'm kind of Cupid in some scenarios. I have a couple friends Ooh, that are in wow. like very happy, healthy relationships because, you know, I said, hey, come do this thing with me tonight. <laughs> and then they met. One of my friends, Nico, is like in this like beautiful trailer home. One of those things you see on like an Instagram reel uh-huh. with his girlfriend, Chris, and they're driving around the country. And <laughs> and I was like, if you didn't go to Zebulon with me that one night that you were complaining about it, you would not have met her. <laughs> That's great. Do you find yourself more on the like spontaneous extrovert side of things? Like, is that in your nature to just like go do some stuff or are you more of like more sporadic? I think I go through phases because there's weeks where I'll just eat edibles at my house and make lo-fi beats and like not talk to anyone, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which are very much me and, you know, um, just myself. And then there's weeks where I need that, you know, I crave that social attention. But I think any chance I get to hang out with my cousins and my family, it's a pretty easy sell for me because they're all really fun. So. so you mentioned edibles. It's hard to find the <laughs> ones that work for you, or at least in my experience, it's always like Speaking of gambling, like a true dice roll of, (laughs) is this going to be like a pleasant experience or am I just going to either like knock out or have a four hour like mild panic attack? Don't you think smoking is a little bit like that too, just in general or like just getting high in general? Yes. Whereas like, you know, if you haven't smoked in a while and, you know, it could be an edible or it could be a joint or whatever. And then, you know, you get that like anxiety syndrome or like paranoia or whatever. I feel like if you get in that stoner pattern, (laughs) weed becomes a lot more enjoyable overall because it just starts to integrate itself into your lifestyle. But yeah, I think edibles can be really intense. I think whenever I first make, like I make a batch of edibles, that's when, you know, I'll do muffins or brownies or something like that. That's when uh, it usually gets me because, (laughs) you know, I'm like cooking and like, oh, well, I got to try this batter a little bit, make sure that's okay. Yeah. Get a couple dabs (laughs) of that. And then, you finish it and you're like, well, there's there's still some leftover batter. You can't waste that. Oh god. And then you're like, well, I gotta try one now. You know, they just came out of the oven. <laughs> That's usually the day that I'm like, okay, this is a little too much. Um, um, but overall, I think I definitely have to adjust to if I haven't been consuming that much weed or something like that, and I have a new edible, I like have to do a couple days to like <laughs> where it is a little bit offsetting. Um, but I'm high like most of my awake life. So (laughs) when I approach it in that sense, I don't know. I I feel like it's so integrated into everything I do and like producing lo-fi music and stuff is like very weed friendly. Yeah. How much part of the scene, like I know know very little about the lo-fi scene or even if that is a sensible term. Do you think weed culture is a big part of it in general? The scene is kind of like an internet scene. Right. So... I wouldn't say it's like your punk scene where, you know, you have all these kids going out every weekend to the punk show or anything like that. Um, But instead, you kind of make all these internet friends in the lo-fi world and and everyone is like really, really cool. But I think it's totally a thing. However, there are people that I know that just don't consume any weed, you know, and make lo-fi music. I think for me, when I got into producing this genre, I'd always 
done stuff similar to Jarek's world of like indie rock, indie pop stuff and some work in like dance music. But when the pandemic hit and like I would kind of jumped full time into producing music and a lot of the lo-fi thing came from like just having this extra time. I'd listened to the music a lot and I had some people really suggest that I do it. Like I have this band called Inspired in the Sleep that was used to be really active. And I listened to your album. Yeah. Yeah. We would do a ton of vinyl samples like and we'd be doing one shots on stage of like some record. So I'd always been told that like this sort of sample based rhythmic like I had that inclination in my style of producing. And so when the pandemic hit, though, it kind of like became this thing of like getting high every day and you know with this extra time LA was very shut down there really wasn't anything to distract yourself with other than you know watching TV and I can only watch so much TV before I go crazy so (laughs) yeah I like just started like for lack of a better phrase making beats you know Mm -hmm. every single day and it was super relaxing to get into it's definitely a very like therapeutic style of music oh yeah back to the weed conversation you feel like you're on a journey a little bit if you're consistently getting high you know you're always searching for something or dreaming about something or wanting to get somewhere and they kind of just became a big part of my life and my career in LA of just yeah. you know making edibles one week and then I feel like it would translate in the music too I can identify that with an EP because I'll usually finish projects within like a little time span you know I don't yeah, yeah. I don't like to sit on the album forever I can kind of like compartmentalize those time periods with those projects. Yeah. I want to ask you about that. But first, I want to introduce the show. Oh, 26 minutes. Respectable. 26 minutes. Later than last week, but still early for us. Everybody, this is Late Night with Brian Wecht. Here we have Leighton Gregg. Hi, that's me. The other one was Brian Wecht. Mystery guest. Who are you and how are you? Hi, uh, my name is Max Green. I'm doing quite well on this warm uh, Tuesday afternoon. I'm an LA-based producer and writer. And I work most extensively on this lo-fi project called Urchin. And as a songwriter, I go under the Max Green name, all around chill dude. Nice. And Urchin is solo, right? That's just you. Yeah, it's solo. However, it is a very collaborative project. So mm-hmm. I've been putting out a lot of music where it's me. Dude, I noticed. with someone else. I was looking at your Spotify and I was like, holy shit, that's a ton of stuff out there. Yeah, I put out a song like every two weeks. rules and it's mostly singles right not necessarily i mean there's an ep coming out this friday oh that's great oh congratulations yeah thank you thank you it's called murmurs and i've been working extensively with this label called acrylic label i was one of their first artists and they're all really good people and they're building something really cool and this is my second ep with them and it's a very soul-searching-esque vocal lo-fi ep Mm -hmm. it's called murmurs because it's sort of like these mantras that I'm producing beats around. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of this like repeating phrase or yeah. thing carrying you through to the end. And so yeah, it's a six song EP, it comes out on Friday. And that's under Urchin. This is under Urchin, so. That's cool. How long have you been on the label? It's been about a year and a half, I wanna say. And I was one of their first releases, it was like one of the first couple singles that the label put out, so. So I'm fascinated by this. I've only ever been completely independent, which is just a testament to how little a label would want anything I do. Which is amazing, by the way, to be completely independent. Believe me, I'm not complaining in any sense. Like, I don't say that as a pejorative thing at all. I say it merely to give the context that I have no idea what it 
is like to be on a label, you know? So what has your experience been with it? So presumably you were putting this stuff out and then you signed the label and then now you put stuff out through them. Well, the one thing I would say, not particularly with like acrylic label or anything, but a lot of the lo-fi labels that exist right now, they're kind of distribution deals as opposed to like full-fledged labels. Acrylic is one of the few labels that like really is more artist forward and they want to work on like conceptual projects and there's all kinds of things attached to it. The concept of a label I think is maybe a little outdated in general. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, this is why I was interested in it is I feel I know more and more artists who have been on labels who leave the labels because they're like, what the fuck are you guys doing for me? Like, there's no reason to be on a label anymore. Totally. Like, I have the fan base. I can put the stuff out myself. I don't get raked over the coals with your cut. And your guys' team's pretty internal too, right? You know, you have yeah, you have the infrastructure to make everything happen, I think. Yeah, certainly in our case, like we have now the ability to basically do everything ourselves. But the reason I was interested in the label thing is just because it, it is surprising to me now when I meet an artist who's actually on a label, <laughs> you know? Right. It seems like so many aren't. Well, I think the premise of a label, I've been watching T-Pain's podcast that he does. Oh, I've heard it's good, yeah. T-Pain has a podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's quite the character. He's really smart, too. And it's crazy to hear about those early 2000s deals that were going through. And like, oh my God. he went through the whole ring around. But essentially, he describes in his podcast is that the label is like a bank, you know, mm-hmm. at least like in these projects that you need like money to move forward. And, and the thing to understand is you're going to make that money back for right. them, you know? Yeah. So it's very much the advance recoupment policy. Yeah. So it's not to think like you sign with a label and then we all make a million dollars or whatever. <laughs> it's sort of like, well, you make your million, but we're going to take that because we put a million into the record and then we start making money to it. That's right. In case people listening don't know what this means exactly. This happens a lot with book sales and publishing too. It's the same sort of model where you get a chunk of change, however much it is, based on you know some dark art metric that they have concocted. Maybe it's based on past sales or whatever. And they give you some money. Let's, I'm going to make up a number. Let's say it's $100,000. And they say, here's your $100,000. And then everything that your album or book or whatever makes up till that $100,000, you don't get paid for. Yeah. It's like you're digging yourself out of a hole. And then once you break even, then you get paid on top of that. And for most people, like you said, you get these like advances from the albums and they never make that money back, and that's kind of all you ever get paid. That's the standard operating procedure for an album. Totally. And in exchange, the album traditionally would be like financing music videos and doing press and you know doing all this other stuff. So they're supposed to be you know helping you actually get sales. Although in practice, that sometimes never happens. Yeah, and I think if it's good people and it creates a team within itself, I can see a a label being really, that's how it's beneficial for me. For sure. Because I'm pretty much independent entirely. Uh, Yeah. And so because I don't really have management other than some like day-to-day help, it's cool to have that access to that team. And then if you're being flexible and working with other labels, 
you have access to that. To, you know, you get to try and see yeah. different working relationships and see what's working and what's, what's not. So yeah, yeah, it's been a good run. That's great. Because I release so consistently, I really do enjoy the label thing. Yeah. Because it's cool to really network across the globe, really, and work with different artists and different labels in Europe. That's awesome. I'm always curious. So staying on music for a minute here, I love talking to musicians about this. What is your relationship with music theory? Like, are you a theory guy or are you a just feel it out, don't understand theory at all or somewhere in between? I know my theory pretty well. I wouldn't say I can do charts really well or like read music and, and didn't really take a classical or like didn't dive super deep into the jazz world like some of my like Berkeley friends. Mm -hmm. But theory definitely, it affects everything I do in the producing world. Mm -hmm. Even if that's like when I'm like sampling some band from the 60s and I'm trying to figure out what key it, it's in, you know, like, yeah. And I get on the piano and start playing through the melodies like, okay, this looks like A. Even if it's as simple as that, it really does affect everything I do. I like to like forget about theory. Yes. Like when I make a song or a track or whatever where I'm writing everything and I'm thinking about theory a lot, it's almost like I really can expect what it sounds like because mm -hmm. I know what I'm going to write you know, more or less. Like I know it sounds like me playing guitar or me doing whatever it is. And I think a lot of moments I like in producing is like getting out of that. Dude, yes. Or having glimpses of that but then also being able to like jump out wide zoom of what you're trying to do creatively. So I think like so many things in the arts, for me, theory, I have a very analytical and mathematical kind of brain and I love music theory. I studied in college and you know, I'm, I'm a big, big theory person. And for me, the big struggle was not being a big theory person right. because it was like, okay, I have the foundation. It's basically knowing when something has become so internalized that it becomes automatic, you know? So I could work out why stuff works, but at this point, my hands can just kind of find where they're quote unquote supposed to go on a keyboard and through, you know, whatever, 30 years or something of writing and playing and thinking about this stuff, it feels like there's something going on in the background that is letting my brain do that, which has a theoretical underpinning. Now I can kind of step outside that and just feel it out. And of course, a significant fraction of the time, it doesn't work and it sucks. And I'm like, oh, that chord was terrible. What the fuck was I thinking? But it works enough that I'm like, okay, I feel like this came from forgetting the right amount of theory at the right moments. Right. There's a very similar thing with like visual art especially illustration where you have to put like a ton of anatomy and technical stuff on the back burner because otherwise you will just get so caught up and like, why can I not get these proportions correct? And then like, sure, you might get them correct, but like the composition is going to look really stilted and weird. And like, also nobody notices, but you like, it's so much about defining that relationship that you're having with your own creativity in that way of just kind of removing yep. that like, structure to it makes it feel a lot more natural, like kind of regardless yeah. of medium. You don't want to see the struggle to create the thing more than you want to see the thing, typically speaking, right? Sure. And if that theory or backbone or anatomy looks too difficult, it starts to take away from 
what the thing is. At the same time, though, I like I've had this conversation with a lot of musician friends that they're really good at their instrument, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was talking to my buddy Horace. He's been touring with Blue to Tiger. He's been playing guitar for. He's also got a lo-fi project called Felty. Just a really talented guitarist. And I was asking about that kind of of like your relationship to you as a player and that like technical aspect. Cause he is definitely one of those types where everything needs to be right, you know, yep. like exactly yep. right. So I'm like kind of asking him, just noticing like when I was more into like really shedding instruments or getting more into like technical side of music. And I was like, how do you mediate that relationship or like that inclination to like really dig in and like play the perfect everything as opposed to play whatever is in the moment. And he said, over time you get better at that relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The more you dedicate your life to your instrument, you know, whatever it is. And this is typically what I see in people that are like, they're not multi-instrumentalists. They're like, this is yep. my thing. This is my thing. Yep. This is who I tour with doing this. And he said, it's almost like a maturing, like getting to know yourself as you grow and mature. Mm-hmm. You get to kind of view that relationship of like when to hold on to this and when to not and mm-hmm. vice versa. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, Brian, you're a keyboard player then? Yes, I'm a keyboard player. For many years, I was mainly a saxophonist. Oh, wow. Okay. And started out in piano and then, you know, did the like pick an instrument in fourth grade kind of thing, pick sax, and made, through college was mainly a sax player. Oh, wow. Jazz stuff. Yeah. Baritone or tenor? Baritone and alto and a bit of soprano. Not too much tenor. Like, Many colleges they had, you know, Barry Sachs is fucking expensive as hell. Like those things are oh, many yeah. thousands of dollars. So they had one, I mean, one, which, you know, was available when it was available. Went to a pretty small school, so there weren't too many people competing for it. And they had a tenor I could use if I needed to and a soprano, but I had my own alto. But then when I graduated and was doing stuff on my own, I didn't have too much opportunity to play sax just kind of by myself. So I graduated from college, taught high school for a year, and then moved to San Diego for grad school at UCSD. And I had like no one to play with. And although it can be lots of fun, playing a sax just by yourself all the time is not the most fulfilling thing, you know? Yeah. It's like, kind of wish there was more going on. So I started doing more and more keyboard stuff. We had this sax player in my band, his name's Ryan Linville. One time we had a saxophone in the band, and so we'd be like doing indie rock songs, and yeah. people loved having that like entertainment aspect. Yep. Now he's like working on a bunch of pop records, and he's like, I've come to the realization that I think people like the idea of saxophone more than they like saxophone on record. <laughs> yes. So much. Like, at least he things very specifically to the recorded music kind of world. And I thought it was so funny because I've never seen someone so dedicated to an instrument. He was one of those Berkeley kids that, like, oh, yeah you know, shedded for six, four yep. to eight hours a day or oh whatever, or, yeah. or else they would feel like guilty. And like, yeah, <laughs> I thought that was so funny. I think he's totally right. Generally speaking, there's an old AV club list. They used to do this inventory feature back when the AV club was good, uh, <laughs> which anyway, it's called 13 songs almost ruined by saxophone. <laughs> I might there be making, I might be getting the number wrong, but it's pretty great. One thing that I think about Actually, a lot is Bowie's saxophone because, you know, Bowie played sax and he does a lot of his songs. He was such a tasteful producer, though. I think the way he used saxophone on those records is like 100 percent, except this drives me nuts. But I understand what he's going for. 
it's always out of tune. It's like a little sharp. Oh, okay. All <laughs> the time. And it must be a choice because he's Bowie. But I'm just like, there's something about his tone where it's certainly not a very modern sax tone. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Definitely, he's coming from a, this might be just me reading into it, knowing his biography, but like British kid that played in a concert band kind of thing or a wind ensemble. And I can't remember anything where he's shredding on sax, so I don't think he's a particularly good sax player, but he's an incredible musician. Oh, totally, yeah. And the deployment of these sax bombs in these Bowie songs is always so interesting because they generally work pretty well. A few instances, and I'm not going to be able to name any of them offhand. I'm just like, oh, I don't know. The tone isn't really working for me here. But you're going along. It's a Bowie album. It's kind of glammy. Yeah, think about the era when he made that music, too. I know, right? You know, he's like, I got to just bust out a saxophone. <laughs> it's the early 70s, and it's time for a little sax line. It's so interesting to me, yeah. Can you pinpoint your favorite Bowie sax usage? I think it's Sons of the Silent Age. Does that have a sax on it? I think that's on Heroes. Which song is uh, Let's Dance? That's Let's Dance. Isn't there a sax in that song? That is like exactly when I start to tune out of the Bowie stuff, the early 80s. So possibly. There's a lot in the 70s. Hunky Dory has a bunch of sax songs on it. I think there might be one on five years, too. Here's the thing. It's really hard for me to answer that question because I don't remember any offhand. <laughs> okay, great. Because they kind of blend, especially in some of the, the Berlin Trilogy stuff, the stuff he was doing with Eno, there's a bunch of kind of ambient stuff going on in those albums, too. And the synth sounds and the sax sounds kind of blend together. And I'm having trouble remembering what was like a high-pitched, irritating synthesizer versus... Versus a high-pitched, irritating saxophone. Right. There was this band we opened for a long time ago called Moon Hooch. Oh, uh-huh. I think it was like, yeah, like 2018. They were like this big YouTube band. It was like Barry Sax, tenor, and like live drums. And they made oh, like nice. dance music. That's awesome. And the guy, he'd do Barry Sax and then he'd put like a traffic oh, cone yep, in to it. lower him. And he could make like the dubstep womp. Yep, like, yep, blah, yep, blah, blah. yep. A lot of old funk bands used to have a bass saxophone. So when you get a, like a really low saxophone doing some great like bass lines, it's fucking awesome. I've seen some people do the thing where they put an extra tube in the instrument to lower the pitch. Typically, your standard berry goes down to a low B flap. You can get them with a low A too. But if you want to get below that, you got to stick a fucking thing <laughs> to make the, the tube longer. So I've seen people deploy those. You know, they just stick it in to make it go. I mean, the first probably like pop berry sax I ever heard was They Might Be Giants is a big part of their yeah. early sound and works really, really well. I guess we would be remiss on this episode if we didn't ask you about your musical influences like a little yes. bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do a, a little quick run through of how I got into music and stuff. And I kind of started taking lessons as a kid. Bass was my first instrument. Mm -hmm. And I had this high school band called Tan Sister Radio. And like <laughs> that was like the whole high school band experience of like we were really serious about the band. And then we graduated high school and we toured and we did a bunch of like house shows and played around. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when I got into the songwriting world, which I've been a songwriter like most of my musical life, I would say. I think my biggest influence on that end would be uh, Jeff Buckley. Oh, wow. Nice. He's probably like my favorite vocalist, but tons. I mean, I've 
gone through so many different phases and I was a big fan of like dirty projectors back in the day, mm-hmm. which they're very like quirky, like intellectual music, like in terms of the style. And But overall, I think the biggest would be Jeff Buckley. Uh, there's this Canadian pianist named Patrick Watson mm-hmm. and he's super talented and his band is like way, way wild. I was a huge Les Claypool fan. Oh, yeah. Nice. As a bass player, I was like, that was just the coolest thing. I I mean, he's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, his ability to like play all those parts and create these like really strange worlds out of it. Yeah. My favorite bass tone as a bass player is the bass tone from the Cake records. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. If you listen to any Cake record, just listen, (laughs) just hone in on the bass for a second. Mm -hmm. And it is this like total like P bass just so perfectly round <laughs> the bass in like frank sinatra which is one of my favorite cake songs yeah partially because it's a good needle drop in the sopranos but i love that song so much i was gonna say talk about like pop with a what the fuck is that horn doing there kind of sound <laughs> there's no yeah. better example of that than cake because you're like what a trumpet all right that's cool yeah i like it <laughs> My friend used to live with this guy who still tours with Cake. I think when the main bass player can't make it, he subs in and I was asking him, I was like, oh, they make you play a P bass, right? Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, I just have a jazz bass. I just take off the back pickup. So it's just the one. <laughs> and I was like, what? How do they? Um, but those records, yeah, I don't know. However they got that tone, that's always something I'm constantly going for. Yeah, I love like old funk and soul music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that started as a bass player, just like, learning those kind of back to the one grooves of all the Motown stuff, kind of that repeating baseline style. And I think that kind of attributes to a lot of my like lo-fi production lately. Cause they're kind of these, like I was thinking about this recently. There's like, they're kind of these like one groove songs mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's kind of like one motif that you're playing off of. Like yeah. start to the finish. I forget exactly what the details of this story are, but it was something about how I think it was James Brown when he was auditioning a guitarist, he'd be like, can you play an E9? And the guy'd be like, yeah. And then he'd be like, can you do it for four hours with feeling? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And one mistake fired instantly. Yeah, yeah. James Brown was really good at firing people. Yeah. (laughs) This has to be fake, but I'm gonna say, I'm gonna perpetuate this rumor, which to me seems clearly false. But I like it so much that I'm going to say it anyway. Someone once told me, another musician, that whenever you hear James Brown go like, ha, you know, when he's doing a song, it's because he caught some musician fucking up. And he's going, ha, ha. Mental note. I don't think that's true at all. But You're out of the crew. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of a fun story. I don't think I have it in me to ever fire a bandmate. It would be more of like a long, lengthy process of band talks. Just be like, I just don't know if it's working out, man. Yeah. It would never be like, a, you know what? <laughs> you fire. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Okay. I want to talk about it. We've never talked about this. I've never had to fire a bandmate. I've definitely been in bands where people have left. But yeah, I've never had to kick someone out of a band. Yeah. The only instance that would be like, if someone just kind of like took the show is more of a joke. I think we used to have members that when they played bar shows, they would just like drink a ton, a ton. Yeah. And that was kind of usually the vibe of like, okay, let's be a little bit professional at least here. (laughs) Uh, Not to say that I don't get down. I'm just saying, uh, (laughs) you know, like the most important thing is putting on a good show each night. Yeah. That'd be a deal breaker. Yeah. I think in those instances, it's someone kind of more or less like 
got less calls. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like breaking up with someone, right? Breakups are the worst, too, you know? They're the worst. Look, I've been married for almost 15 years at this point, so I haven't had to break up with someone in a couple months. Uh, but the, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, A plus. The, A plus. Good thing. <laughs> but I remember, like, towards the end of my dating life, I finally realized that it's okay to end a relationship, and the best way to do it is, like, hey, sorry, it's not really working out let's not do this anymore. And even though it sucks and is the actual worst, it is so much better than dragging things on for way too long and hoping that the other person will leave, which I definitely did as a young man. And see, see, you got out before like ghosting became the big thing. Oh yeah. Ghosting's so cool. Now you don't even have to confront those parts. Leave that for there. I definitely got ghosted. I mean, I, 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 ghosting was definitely a thing. I absolutely got ghosted when I was dating in San Diego in the early two thousands, but it wasn't the same, you know, this is just when people were, this makes me sound so old, which is an accurate statement. This is just when people were starting to text. Okay. But ghosting happened. It was just a different kind of ghosting because it was harder to get a hold of people. Right. Yeah. Well, because now you can get ghosted and know that they've seen it. And then also they're on Instagram and it's that's, like, oh, okay, this is really that's in my right. face. Huh? That's the difference. That I didn't. I'm like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't get the call. Whatever. Yeah. You don't even need to confront those no, emotions at all. Right. Now, now no. they don't ghost me. I ghost them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, we have all these tools to communicate, but we're not really talking to each other. Uh I sound like a boomer. Uh, it's like everybody's talking, more like anti-social like, media. Nobody's listening. <laughs> That's it. This is the final episode of the podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, maybe the problem is everyone has podcasts and no one. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I fully think that anybody who has a podcast should be arrested for what for having a podcast. We're going to be the first That's against right. the wall, and we're going to deserve it. Aggravated broadcasting. I will not tell people that I have a podcast unless completely forced. I will simply omit it. And then eventually maybe it'll come up, but I'm never going to be like, anyway, so on my podcast. And yet we wonder why we don't have more listeners. Yeah, we would totally bump the numbers if I just shoehorned podcasting into every conversation. My social life would Anyway, die. what were we talking about? My podcast? Yeah. <laughs> this As reminds me of that the time on my on podcast. My podcast. <laughs> God. I do think in terms of as an artist, I can't get that deep into the social media thing, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't really do content. I just like making music. That's great. But I will say I've seen a couple artist friends go off to make part of their content or whatever they're putting out on the internet is coming from like what they do with their podcasts. And so mm -hmm. I saw a lot of band friends starting their own podcasts and everyone had all this time. And like, so they were getting these really big names of like other bands or other artists and stuff like that. Yeah. I did really enjoy that. And thank you guys for having me. Oh, uh, of course. Every yeah. time I do a <laughs> podcast, it's, it's always like, yeah, you know, I'll just say some dumb shit for like a, a whole hour, <laughs> but they're always so relaxing and fun. And there's always like so many gems. What I love about podcasting, I mean, it's the same sort of ethos as like a radio talk show or something is it is really especially for the kind of podcast we do and many others do too. It's so much about building a vibe and doing something that just innately takes a long time. And there's so few things in our culture right now that reward doing something that takes a long time. 
I appreciate how we can have this thing where it's like for a couple hours a week, we're just going to talk and we don't have an agenda. We don't know what's going to yeah, fucking yeah. happen. We're going to build this thing. There'll be callbacks. There'll be some laugh out loud moments. You know, there'll be maybe some emotional stuff. Who the hell knows? The way you're talking about it is making me hate podcasts. I don't disagree <laughs> with you, but. And by the way, yes, if I heard someone say this in like an advertisement for their podcast, I'd be like, absolutely hard pass. Not interested. Next podcast, please. Well, as we've discussed, we need to make a new trailer for this show. And the trailer yes. absolutely needs to be under no circumstances should you ever waste your time and listen to this show. Yeah. Just go complete reverse there psychology. It's shit. Yeah. <laughs> Don't listen to it. If you listen to it, I will come to your house <laughs> and break your Bluetooth speaker. That could pop off, though. Yeah. Yeah. When you tell people not to do something, they're, they're going to want to do it. it. The thing I was saying, Layden, have we ever talked about this? This is something I spent so much time thinking about and have never done anything with, which is that a big difference between the media I consumed as a kid or as a young adult and now is now everything you go into, you know exactly how long it's going to last. Like you turn on the podcast, you see it, hour 23 minutes. You see your streaming show. It's going to be 53 minutes. And I'm sure you guys do this. I do this too. You're frequently checking how much more time is left in this thing. Like how much more of my life do I have to invest in this? Mm -hmm. I am very interested in media that exists in a space where you don't know how long it's going to take. And I think that's something that is getting harder and harder to come by. I mean, streaming is probably a big, I know people have like stream schedules, but there are a lot of times where it's like, this could go on for four more hours or it could end in 10 minutes. Who knows? Absolutely. Is it segment time? It is, except for one thing, Max, that I want to talk about. Now, Jarek told us to ask you about this. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> Sneaking into music festivals. He's mentioned me before or something He like said, that? he texted us before. He's like, ask Max <laughs> about sneaking into festivals. So he said, quote, here, I'm going to read this. All caps, sneaking into music festivals. I'm supposed to sneak Jarek into Just Like Heaven in Pasadena <laughs> this weekend. That's the plan. And then he said, this is a quote from Jarek, quote, he sneaks into so much music festivals. So, <laughs> well, you should respond and say he sneaks into so many music festivals. Well, I, you know, I, I don't want to edit Jarek's <laughs> voice. Jarek's voice is Jarek's voice. <laughs> so much music festivals is a pretty great phrase. So I, I do like it a lot. Yeah. Hell yeah. So tell me about sneaking into festivals. Yeah. I have this friend, and he's still a friend of mine, but we went to high school together. And I think like when I was like senior year, just graduated, there was a couple of times where my friend Greg, his dad would be like, hey, do you guys want to go see, you know, Arctic Monkeys at SDSU open air? Mm -hmm. And we'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would do this thing where he worked for like a construction company. He would totally love if he heard this too, he'd crack up. But we would go and we'd pull up behind these like concerts or find like a cool parking spot. And then we would just walk through the back. And it would be him and his son and me and like a couple other friends. And we'd walk through the back and, and the security guy would look and he would just show him his pass, which is like kind of looks like a staging lighting thing mm -hmm. or something. And like I was just amazed as a kid. He'd always just be like, yeah, yeah, come on through. <laughs> and then we'd go post up somewhere, see some amazing van that we were all freaking out about. And so uh, in my early 20s, I like had this idea of like, oh, maybe I'll take that a step further. <laughs> and I went on Photoshop. I uh, photoshopped these like fake sound passes. 
it would say like crew passers, like some generic thing. And then I laminated them. <laughs> uh, I wonder if I have one actually. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, please. Yeah. Okay. All right. This is going to uh, come out in the trial and it's just eventually. just the one thing and we, uh, we, we would use it all over the place. So it'd be just this thing. It says like <laughs> all access pass. That's it. That's it. And that would work. And I have kid you not. I've been to Coachella. Uh, I went twice one year to Coachella. Which is lands. crazy because all the every gig I've ever played or everything I've been a part of, they're like, here's a picture of the credentials. Like, yeah, like I even have some of here. I want the viewers who will be able to see us on the Patreon to contrast the thing you just held up with with this, <laughs> which has like. <laughs> A very specific wow. design on it, right? Yeah. That's what you needed to get into. It's a nice font. Thank you. I made it myself. That's what you needed to get into our international show. Like, if you didn't have one of those, you weren't getting it. And the image of just some security guy was like, yeah, that looks good. Is <laughs> yeah, I mean, stunning. I've never jumped a fence. I've never, like, mm -hmm. ran. I've never done anything, like, aggressive. It's literally just, I'll kind of, like, show up scope the perimeter and kind of look for those entrances where it's like that security guard's not getting paid that much. They, they're just there to make sure no one's like jumping fences or something like that. And you are pinpointing weaknesses. Yeah. It's either you're in, they're going to let you go or they're not. <laughs> and if they're not, then you say, okay, thank you very much. And you go leave and try the next entrance or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I've been to a ton of concerts. I think I just love live music a ton and that's hasn't always and you hate paying matched for it with my yeah. finances mm -hmm. to be able to see live music a ton so this is kind of what formulated from that i've never used it at like a small show you know or yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. like an independent thing sure. you know well actually you're saying you're at ucsc for a while i did use it at the loft once oh really that small venue above the food court yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the dumbest i had just made them and i was like oh i gotta try these things out <laughs> And the door lady who actually later on became like a good friend of mine was like the only one that could be even close to security other than the person checking IDs uh -huh. or whatever in the front. And she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> you just walked into the side door of this like 120 cap venue. Yeah. Like, yeah, we ended up becoming friends later on. But I thought that That's was really so funny. funny. It really only works at like really big open, yeah. bigger style venues. Have you ever gotten like chased away or something? I've had it taken off of my head. Mm -hmm. That's probably the worst that's ever happened. Mm -hmm. At Outside Lands, I had like the head of security just be like, nope. <laughs> I grabbed <laughs> it off my neck. Get the fuck out of here. And I'm like, all right, later. <laughs> and I got to take Jarek too soon. Love it. Can I make a suggestion for the next time you guys sneak to a festival, which is get a really big trench coat. And yeah, <laughs> put I don't know who's riding on no whose shoulders, but you get inside <laughs> oh, the trench yeah. coat, right? And you have one of your guys' heads on top, and you're riding on the shoulders of the other guy. And you walk up. You should be wearing like a, a hat, like a deerstalker Sherlock Holmes hat, and a big fake mustache. Yeah. And you have to you have to talk in one of these voices. Hello, I'm here to see the <laughs> festival. <laughs> I believe I'm with yeah. the crew. <laughs> And then you show them your pass and you can get in. 100% foolproof. Yes. Could not possibly go wrong. I'm Mr. Soundington here to see the Outside Lands Festival. <laughs> uh, the one trick I think I've done is, because you definitely want to like make an exit plan if they're not going to let you through. Yeah. yeah. And so whatever friend I'm going to meet in the festival or something like that, I'll call them. And I'll be like, 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's my boss. Hold on one second. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're on the south. South. I think this is the south entrance. What is that? And then, oh, sorry. This is just this is the wrong spot. Thank you so much. We're gonna go meet up. <laughs> smart. That's, That's smart. probably the only other yeah. little trick that I have on that one. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So, Leighton, you were asking about segments before, and I was asking about segments. Now, I do agree. It's time for segments. I want to do something a little different this week with our first segment. So this week, our first segment is going to be our pop culture recommendation segment. This is a segment where you can recommend. I'm excited about this segment. Oh, it's great. Uh, You can recommend a book, a movie, a video game, you know, a piece of pop culture that you've been enjoying. And what's really amazing about this segment, and I say this to you as a fellow musician, is the theme song for this segment. So the theme song, I, I said it wrong. I was so excited about this. I kind of tripped over the words. The theme song is something that I'd say it has a lo-fi element to it already. Although I don't think when I created it, I say I, but really it's a joint creation of me Mm -hmm. and Layton. Mm -hmm. When Mm -hmm. we created it at the time, we were not going explicitly for a lo-fi thing. I think that's something that pretty much ended up happening. You know, it was early days of the the show. Did you two make the song? Yeah, we did. We were in the same space when we created it. This was early days. It was actually pre-pandemic, just pre-pandemic. That's true. I'll confirm it. I have the keyboard, the little Casio that you tapped that main beat out yeah. on. Yep. I have footage of you doing that, actually. Oh, that's true. Did we ever put that out? I don't think we did. I don't think we did. I'll send it's it to Jerry. It's, it's a gorgeous rear shot of me. Yeah. Punched over a tiny keyboard. You guys should do a podcast beat tape. Oh, that's a good idea. What would the name of that beat tape be, Layden? <sighs> I don't know, Brian. Yes. You're a man in your prime doing what you love to do. And I I would, I it's not my place what... to interrupt. You talking about your process for this theme song and how much mm-hmm. it means to you. And, <laughs> you know, I know that mm-hmm. you require a pretty significant mm-hmm. amount of time in order to properly build up to the theme song that you're going to play for our guest mm-hmm. before we do the segment. And I just, I want to respect your creative integrity and your uh, vision for this portion of the show. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to let you continue to do your thing. I just ask that you try to keep it short as, so as to be respectful to Sorry, keep, the time be, of every, everyone, keep uh, keeping your introduction to the segment relatively short. Well, I haven't started my introduction yet, so I think that's... Oh, uh, okay. This is the introduction to the introduction. Yeah, that, that's right. So it was the introduction to the introduction. We have a strict rule in the podcast, which is whenever an introduction to a segment gets interrupted by, let's say, an over-enthusiastic co-host, the introduction has to restart. So, oh, there we go. And then, no, what, sorry, what was that? <laughs> what? I was it saying you were like doing a great were, job. Okay. I was well, saying that you were doing a great job. It's something we can both agree on, for sure. <laughs> Anyway, this is the theme song to the segment known as What's Poppin', and we're going to play it for you right now after you hear it. So this is the important part. I want your immediate reaction to it, like what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it. Okay. All that stuff. All right. All right. Okay. I'm ready. All right. Here we go. Since I like to be very clear about when I'm playing it, I'm all about keeping promises. So I'm going to say the word click when I click it. Click. 
What's poppin'? What's poppin'? Unclick. So, that was the theme song to What's Poppin'. Uh, it was uh, life-changing. <laughs> Thank you. It was like a, <laughs> it was a whole new culture that yeah. you didn't even know existed. It's like a whole new, it's its own tent at Coachella. There we go. Let's just say that. That's all I ask. Max, thank you. You have <laughs> validated so much of what I try to do. And I really Brian, appreciate that, it. Hmm? That, that was a Sorry, real you, return you, to what, form. What? No, that was a real no, what? return Sorry, to form. Can you just say we, what you're going to say? We, we, sorry, Layton, sorry. We, can you just say we, what you're going to say? <laughs> As is that also a return to form? What is, what, uh, what is a return to what form? Brian, sorry. You, you, uh, can you, you just you say? Can you just like say what you're gonna? Can you, you had please three just of say my patients. <laughs> you had say. three of my patients' coins today, and you've spent five of them. Mm-hmm. I'm deducting this from the Layton's patients' coins bank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you already won here, Brian. You already won, so you don't need to be a sore winner about it. I I won the moment you agreed to do this show with me two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Well, time to recommend some fucking. Jesus Christ. Max, please. Yes, go. Okay, I would like to recommend this TV show. You guys may have already seen it. It's called Severance. Oh, dude, it's my favorite thing. Yeah, have you seen it? I've watched the whole thing. I... Yeah, I'm so happy you said this. Leighton, have you seen it yet? No, but Brian's been talking about it like every single week since it started airing. So I love to see this. And I haven't talked to anyone else about it yet, really, on this show. Really? Oh, then here we go. You you go ahead and say what you're going to say. I would never want to interrupt. Yeah, well, essentially, it's this plot about this corporation in the future figures out a way to split a employee's brain. So when the employee's at work, they are their own person, and they don't know what their life is outside of work, and vice versa. And so you have these people that clock into work, they turn into this completely other person, clock out, and... It's probably one of the best shows I've gotten into in the last like four or five I years. I could not agree like, more. Of where like Absolutely. I'll be in the middle of the day cooking or something like that and I'll just be thinking about the show. Yes. <laughs> so I've recommended it to a ton of people. It's really good. It's really quirky. Score rules, right? Oh, the it's, score is, yeah. Da, 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 theme that keeps yeah. coming back is just the best. And the way everything's like visually presented is really interesting too. And it's funny. It's, it's, it's kind of like the funny. office humor a little bit, but like with like a really dark, like weird twist yes. and, and drama. So yeah, that would probably be the current highlight, I would say, of that's consumable. That's great. Other than that, there's this thing called music um, <laughs> that I always oh. recommend to people, you know. Yeah. Brian, what are your thoughts on Severance? Oh, my thoughts on Severance. We can't give anything away, but how it started, how it ended. and There's not a fucking thing I would change about it. I love the glacial pacing of most of it. Mm -hmm. Somehow through acting and the visuals, I mean, through everything about the production, they managed to take this thing, which is pretty slow, and make it the most compelling thing. Like, I could not stop watching it. It is such a high wire act. And, you know, Ben Stiller did a lot of the directing. Yeah, yeah, I think I saw his name on there. Yeah, yeah I think he directed half the episodes. What's the other director's name? Ify, I don't remember what her last name is. But they're really well directed. And I was just blown away. I felt about Severance the same way I felt about Twin Peaks when I first watched it when it was on, where I was like, 
There is mm. so much going on here, and this is the tip of the iceberg. And also, like, early seasons of Lost, too, where it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. fuck. There's, like, a mythology going on here that is yeah. incredible. I was just so excited about it. And so many actors I love. Adam Scott, John Turturro, Britt Lauer. Everyone in it is fantastic. So those are my thoughts. Totally. Yeah. Layton. What's popping for me is a YouTube channel that makes very funny Skyrim and Sopranos mashups. Uh, the channel is called Pertinax. It's P-E-R-T-I-N-A-X. And they do a bunch of different like little video game edits, but like they're like meme videos, but the quality you can watch as this person like improves with their After Effects oh, abilities fun. where it's like yeah. they do such a good job of like inserting Sopranos characters into Skyrim. And for some reason it fits so well and they're so fucking funny. <laughs> they're spoilery moments from the show that when removed from context are not spoilers. I get so excited when I see that they've uploaded a new one. Like their sense of humor is great. The attention to detail. It's two things I love. Yeah, it's the greatest. So Pertinax, YouTube. I'm looking at this channel right now. We should get them on the show. I would love that. They recently did one that's Super Soprano Cart Wii, which is just like a real technical achievement of like every scene in the show that has cars and like putting it together as a narrative of them in a match of Mario Kart. It's great. Anyway, I recommend, I know reading the comments, it's people like, these videos got me to start watching The Sopranos. So like... That's great. No, you're still on the fence. It's like Fleetwood Mac blowing up on TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Just resurfacing already really successful great song one of my favorites is the how it feels to play daedric quests with poly walnuts just really really high quality <laughs> all right great anyway that's it brian did you pop i did not because once i pop i can't stop i'm aware of that you should see a doctor about it yeah well I, i've tried what's popping for me i was going to go on a whole thing about it but i gave up one of my all-time favorite sketch comedy groups the kids in the hall is back and they have a new season after whatever it is, 30 years, something like that on Amazon Prime. And look, if you're skeptical, you have every right to be skeptical, but it's fucking great. It is not with Bob and David, which had moments where it was kind of a pale comparison to the original Mr. Show stuff. I was just grinning like an idiot watching this thing the whole time. They've got the same energy. You know, they're all basically 60 now. And there's a lot of material about that. They're just so funny and cute and they're taking chances and it's well written. It's well shot. Kids in the Hall have always done like interesting camera stuff, like very filmic stuff. That a lot of other sketch comedy people didn't do. They do like homages to expressionism and stuff. It's so great to see these guys again and it's so great to see them being good. You know, the acting's great. The writing's great. The directing's great. I've watched two of the episodes and it just rules. These guys are my favorite. I mean, really comedy heroes of mine in many ways. I absolutely adored their original show and have watched many of their projects since. And it's just thrilling to see them back and still in top form. So it kind of feels like how the fuck did this even happen? Why is this so good? You know, it, it all of these fucking properties get rebooted and I couldn't give a shit about any of them. The X-Files came back. I was like, I don't fucking care. Whatever. I could not have been a bigger X-Files fan. 
gets rebooted, whatever. All these fucking things come back. I don't give a shit about any of them. And the kids in the hall is back and it's just wonderful. So that's what's popping for me. That's great. Where can you watch? It's on Amazon Prime. I will say, if you've never seen a kids in the hall thing before, I think it would work. There's a lot of references to original kids in the hall. So it definitely helps to be a fan. So I got to start from the beginning. You know what? I think you can just watch it, (laughs) but you won't appreciate it as much because, you know, it's like any sketch show. They have recurring characters and they're bringing a lot of those characters back. Yeah, but it's so good. Well, that was What's Poppin'. Now it's time for our final segment, which is three parts gratitude exercise and one part petty grousing. The name of the segment is Peaches and Lemons. And the theme song for Peaches and Lemons goes right here. Peaches and Lemons. Incredible. That was the theme song for Peaches and Lemons. We will each start with a lemon, which is a thing that is a minor annoyance, bummer, whatever else. I will start. Yesterday, Brian, you and I recorded a mini-sode. Mm-hmm. You commented on how I sounded very congested. And then mm-hmm. the moment I hung up, I was like, oh no, I am congested. And so I sat there feeling like my face was full of concrete. And I was like, all right, I'm going to have to do it. I have to take a Benadryl. And I knew what that Uh-oh. would entail. I knew. Mm-hmm. And there was no other way out. And so I took a Benadryl and was in a Benadryl coma for the next like four hours. Mm-hmm. Oh, the worst. I get that that's how Benadryl is, but also there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. The better way is like Zyrtec or something. But the problem is it's not immediate relief, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the real solution is just get the surgery that I badly need on my nose. That's the actual solution. But, you know, that's my lemon for now. Who else has lemon? I have a lemon. My kid is the slowest fucking eater in the entire world. (laughs) And when you're just trying to get out the goddamn door to school in the morning and she's biting one nubbin off each raspberry at a time, you know, if raspberries have those little bumps, she was eating one bump at a time off a raspberry. And I was like, Audrey, we, every morning, same thing. It's like, honey, we How have to go to school. She, she'll be eight in like a week. And it's like, sweetie, I love you. Eat the fucking raspberry. It's like, it's one raspberry. We need to like get you out the door to go to school. And I don't want to like, I don't want her to have a weird relationship with food. But it's also like, honey, can you just eat? You have three strawberries in front of you. That's your entire breakfast because you won't eat more. Maybe that's a tactic so she doesn't have to go to school. A hundred percent. It is a hundred percent a stalling technique. That's absolutely what it is. I don't think it's a conscious stalling technique, but I'm just like, honey, please. At a normal meal, if we're not trying to get out the door, I don't care. Take as long as you want. And let's just say, not to cast any stones here, but when you also won't get out of bed in the morning and then get up late and then have to eat breakfast, but choose to eat it very slowly. Here, let me put it this way. I believe that my daughter and I might have competing agendas and she loves school. So I don't think it's exactly to not go to school, but my agenda is to get this kid out the door into the school. And sometimes we're at odds over how best to do that. So that's my lemon. I used to love getting sick. Oh yeah. I was like, yes, I'm sick. I get to stay home and play video games. And I remember I <laughs> oh, told dude, that to my yeah. dad once in like third grade. And he said, 
Max, I'm so disappointed in you. And he walked away. <laughs> and, then, uh, <laughs> and then I did. I was like, oh, shit, the gill. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love it, too. Stay home and watch The Price is Right. Hell, yeah. Finally, those sweet game oh, shows yeah. that are on. It's nothing like an 80s game show. Max, lemon? Yes. My complaint is, like, I feel a big disbursement of energy. I'm one of those types of people that, like, just juggles a ton of projects at once. And sometimes I love it. But lately, I think I've been trying to get better at my time management and like prioritizing. And I'm not good at it like naturally. So that's probably my lemon little self-help thing that I'm working towards. That's a good lemon. Uh, Completely, totally relatable. Very, yes. All right, time for peaches. I will scoot through mine. My first peach is that I think last episode I reported like having good self-esteem. Please to report, still going strong on that. So that gets a peach. My second peach is that maybe thinks that when I take a shower that I disappear forever. And so now every single time I get out of the shower, she loses her goddamn mind. This video you sent was great. Yes. It is adorable. She does the same thing every time and she makes little like trilling noises as she like pops around. It's just like the absolute greatest. And then my last peach is that over the weekend, there was this much, much anticipated creator clash put on Real Good Touring, Mm -hmm. which for anybody who is not in the loop, it was a YouTuber boxing thing that many of our friends and previous guests were involved in. Yep. Congrats to Real Good Touring and everybody involved because it was just such a like incredibly impressive production that like you know, I don't really watch sports, but I was doing the like dad watching sports half standing at my desk, like screaming at the screen. Ryan and Alex Ernst fight. I guess part of it is that like we've seen the behind the scenes of this coming up for months and months and months. months. We both oh know about this. Yes. Like I first heard about it when we were recording with Matt. So whenever that was. It's like four months ago or something, yeah. Yeah, I also personally watched like, you know, Aaron train and improve. And like he put so much work into the damn thing. And like it was just a very like high stakes emotionally for me to watch. And I'm just so proud of everybody involved, especially like, as I said, folks at home, if you haven't seen it, go search out the Ryan and Alex Ernst fight because it is really just like, resilience.mp4, like Ryan standing up with his nose gushing blood after getting knocked down for a second time. It's just like, dude, I am so proud of you. You are incredible. So that was a joy to watch and scream about on the Discord with all the homies. So, you know, big big ups. Very funny. So our friend Matt, who who fought, (laughs) uh, had a very, let's say a short bout where he lost in, what was it, 20... It was about like 20 seconds. 22 seconds. To be fair, for months, for months, any time this thing has come up, the running joke has been, so are we excited to watch uh, Matt get killed? (laughs) Because he was boxing this very in-shape dude. Yes. And it didn't last very long before the referee called it. But the thing that I loved was how self-aware and humble and funny Matt has been about it since then, including tweeting things like, that's not the first time I've lasted 22 seconds, which I thought was very funny. Uh, And stuff like that. I love that he went into it with such the right attitude of like, this is going to be a fun, stupid thing. Gets annihilated, comes out and is like, hey, wasn't that a fun, stupid thing? Like, yeah, (laughs) really great to see and just cements how much I love that guy. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. 
And those are my peaches. Who else has peaches? Uh, Max. Peaches. Oh, okay. I bought a car recently. Oh, nice. Congratulations. And I was carless for two years. So that's been really cool because I have that kind of flexibility to go somewhere whenever I want to. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas like pretty much through quarantine in the last two years, I was without a car. And it's cool. It's it's nice to have a nice vehicle to drive around. I've been stoked on that recently. I am thankful for, I have this ability to be, to do the creative work that I do with the flexibility that I have. Mm -hmm. So I got a lot of like family trips and some weddings and some vacations and traveling coming up this year. And I'm like, super fortunate that I get to do that and like, you know, still live. That's a big thing, dude. Yes. Yeah. 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 My third would probably be my supportive girlfriend. Because I know I'll get brownie points for saying that. So she's for sure going to listen to this. <laughs> Hello, supportive girlfriend. Hello. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Brian. My peaches. Peach number one. We're going to a Los Angeles Dodgers game this evening. Oh, nice. And it's my the second Dodgers game I've ever been to, first in like five years. And it's my kids' first sporting event of any kind ever and possibly the largest crowd she's ever been in. And she just started playing softball at like a little kid level, but she's very excited to go eat a hot dog and get some ice cream and a little baseball hat. And we're not going to stay for the full game probably, but it's going to be fun. And I'm looking forward to it. Pitch number two is, so I've been talking for many, even years now on the show about the smooth jazz album that I'm writing or have written, I should say. And tomorrow I'm doing a photo shoot for the album. <gasps> Yo. Now, hold on. Are you doing a photo shoot or is Trey Magnifique doing a photo shoot? Sorry. Thank you very much, Layden. I do appreciate that. Trey Magnifique is doing the photo shoot. Max, that is the name under which this album is being released. Trey Magnifique is a soprano saxophone player. This is your lo-fi moniker? Yeah, it's my smooth jazz moniker. And I'm very excited because it means this album is getting closer and closer to happening is it can you or do you have more tracks that you can send me specifically because i still listen to the ones that you've sent me already oh i do actually i do <gasps> yes. did, wait did i send you the vocal one that we finished uh i don't know if you sent it to me finished but i've returned to that one several okay. times well that one is done now so yes i'll send you some some more tracks please 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 and my final peach is <laughs> i after taking a year off of tiktok I started uploading videos to TikTok again. Now, Layton, I should tell you, TikTok is a popular video app where you can watch short videos from your favorite content creators. Oh, I see. So, okay. Yes. It's full of highbrow content that really makes you feel better about the state of the world. So with your newfound large following, uh, are, you, are you promoting the show at all? Well, I will be. Because I recorded a couple little videos for this box set that my band Starbomb put out. And I was like, comedy on TikTok is pretty dire. But I was like, I have an idea for a funny video. And I made it. And it did shockingly well. It's like over 4 million views now in like three days. Hell yeah. And this is the one we discussed, right? This is the one we discussed where I play the you solve the puzzle Zelda theme when Audrey opens a door and she gets mad at me because I do it too much. And I was just like, okay, maybe I'll start using this more. You know, it always feels nice watching the little numbers go up is soul sucking in a way, 
But it always feels nice when you try something and you're like, oh, people like that. That was good. It's soul-sucking and just like a uh, makes brain chemical feel good. Right. That's you're right. like, ooh, yay, goody, yes. And then you feel like you're losing brain cells as they're just like converted into a positive dopamine. Because that's how brains work. Yeah, of course. Any neuroscientist can tell you that. So anyway, I was just like, I don't even know what I'm going to fucking do with this app. But it does feel like it's sticking around and it couldn't hurt to use it a little more as long as I can do it in a way that does not interfere with the stuff I actually want to be doing. The amazing thing about TikTok is just the discovery potential is enormous on it. And Mm -hmm. couldn't hurt if I have some interesting stuff to say, why not do it? So I think I'm also, I don't want to give too much away here, Leighton, but I think this week, that other video I sent you last week, which is a parody featuring a number, if you know what I'm talking about. Yes, yes, yes. Might be up pretty soon too. Oh my goodness, how exciting. I'm embarrassed that it took me that long to... uh... So I'll tell you what I'm talking about in just a moment when we wrap up the show. And speaking (laughs) of which, we're at the end of the show. So, uh, dude, thank you for taking all this time to be with us. It was, as Jarek predicted, fucking awesome to have you on and such such a joy to talk to you. Thank you. We'll sneak into a concert soon. Oh yes, that would be be (laughs) awesome. Let's do it. Yeah, let's sneak into the next podcasting festival. That'd be great. There we go. (laughs) So if people want to find your various music or find you on social media, what would you like to plug or where would you like to point them? Yeah. If you were looking into the lo-fi world, my main project I'm pretty busy with is this project called Urchin, U-R-C-H-N and underscore U-R-C-H-N underscore on Insta and on Spotify. Doing really great on Spotify. Like you're doing some really popular stuff, which is awesome. Yeah, it's been a really cool year. It's been working. It's been really a lot of fun working in this genre. It's kind of changed everything I do. And then as a songwriter, I'll do like releases and like top lines and my own artist music that's under Max Green. So tons of music. I'm always putting out stuff. So (laughs) I love it. Awesome. Well, folks at home, that is our episode. Thank you so much for joining us today and for choosing, of all the podcasts you could be listening to, for choosing this one. We are glad that you did, if not mildly confused by that decision. (laughs) So as we wrap up, hope you're all doing well. You're staying hydrated. You're getting some sun, but not too much sun. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And just to leave you folks with some words of wisdom or inspiration this week. Max, I've started throwing to the guest. Are there any parting words or a phrase or a send-off that you would like to give? Advice, whatever you want to put out as our final missive for episode 118. It's a world of possibility is what I'm going to end with. I often forget how massive this world is and how many different individual realities there are. And so, yeah, well, anything's possible, positive note there. That's great. (laughs) I love that. Perfect. All right. You heard the man. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Peace. Why am I waving? Nobody can see me. (laughs) (laughs) Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com.